Recently, several different persons have mentioned to me that these last three months have shifted their faith into a higher gear, a somewhat surprising, unexpected outcome under the circumstance. And I've responded, the same is true for me, that among other things, I've experienced what I'd call a great stripping away of less important matters, or from another vantage point, a great re-emergence of essential matters. Does this resonate at all with your experience? I'm not certain exactly how this has happened, but the words of our liturgy, our worship, the, the prayers, my dreams, my contemplation, the news, and scripture have all sharpened and shifted in focus. Take that first passage we read in Isaiah, for instance. Doesn't it sound newly fresh and relevant concerning the nature of authentic worship? Listen again. This is the kind of fast day I'm after to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the moneyless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering, ill-clad, being available to your own families. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of our past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Wow, don't those ancient words sound remarkably relevant to present circumstance? Even stirring? Context matters, doesn't it? While physically separated in our isolation pods, four national crises of staggering proportion have loomed into view. First, the coronavirus pandemic, which, contrary to our president's mishandling and hype, shows no sign of abating. A new single-day national record was set for infections this week, outstripping the catastrophic days in April. So far, about 2.4 million people have been infected in the U.S. That's a conservative estimate. And 120,000 have died. By far, the largest numbers for any country in the world. Second, and related to the first, a massive financial disruption has stripped tens of millions of jobs from the economy, leaving countless individuals and families floundering in anxiety about their essential well-being and grave concern for the viability of the nation's economic structures going forward. Third, the Floyd George murder was a tipping point for an astonishing awakening to the ongoing deadly ramifications of the racist founding of our nation, causing many, maybe, maybe the majority of Americans to rethink what they thought they knew about how they were situated culturally, historically, racially, contextually. Fourth, there is a 
catastrophic crisis of moral leadership in our nation. People deluded themselves over these last decades that character was an irrelevant construct to effective leadership in all spheres, politics, finance, business, and so on. If we didn't really believe it before, now we know. Values matter. Character matters. People of faith are awakening to the depth of this crisis. As six leaders of prominent national seminaries have recently written, we need moral leadership that can create a compelling vision for the flourishing of our increasingly diverse republic. We need leadership with a moral compass that directs the way forward toward principled decisions and courageous acts of justice in matters of health, the economy, and systemic racism. The combination of these crises has given us an opportunity to rethink our values. This can only be done with good moral leadership. This can only be done with good moral leadership. When was the last time you heard your friends and colleagues speak seriously, earnestly, about the necessity of developing, championing, authentically moral leadership on a local and national level? Have you had that conversation at work, for instance? I'm thinking likely not. Many hearts and minds, though, are being stirred anew in this way. Context matters. Current conditions have stripped away a lot of distractions and secondary concerns. We have the opportunity to see with new eyes things that have been there all along. A memory returned to me this week. Some of you listening have heard me tell this small story before, but it bears repeating for my purposes today. 20 years ago, a large team from Christ Church traveled to Ghana, West Africa to build homes with new partner neighbors. At one point in our travels, we visited the slave castles on the so-called Gold Coast of Africa. These were the points of embarkation for the transatlantic slave trade, where millions were bound and held prisoner, crammed into dank cells. I have a searingly vivid memory of standing in the chapel of one of the castles when a cold chill swept through me as I realized the floor of the chapel doubled as the ceiling of the men's dungeon. Words of Isaiah would have been read there. The words we read today, as a matter of fact. Inscribed on the chapel wall was a verse of Psalm 132. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. If you were to look that up, you'll find that passage continues with these words. This is my resting place forever. I will abundantly bless its provisions. I will satisfy its poor with bread. Suddenly overwhelmed by the depth of this astonishing hypocrisy left me breathless and teary and remains among the most powerful touchstone experiences of my ministry. But the memory returned to me this week 
with another layer of mud whisked away, revealing the vast web of interconnected relationships among all spheres of human activity. Something I knew intellectually before, but this was now a visceral experience for me. I felt it in my bones this week. Think of it. Political, economic, religious, cultural, sociological, educational structures, all the human social structures of Western civilization conspired around the lie, capital L, that one race was vastly superior to another in its givenness. So superior, in fact, that they could conceive the other only as property to be employed or disposed of at whim. And this within a theological system whose doctrine proclaimed that all persons had been created in God's image and that loving justice was the coin in God's realm. It's the thoroughgoing enmeshment of all these spheres that captures my attention this week. And the reality that the menacing vestigial tentacles of this lie that are still embedded within our land have been recently more clearly exposed. White people do not want to believe they are still tainted by the lie, and black people are tired of trying to prove it. But that's the opportunity we have in the midst of the chaos to see things more clearly to situate ourselves more accurately in the created order, to learn for the first time or relearn for the second or third time our history, to see how our social arrangements still harbor the lie in its religious, cultural, sociological, and educational structures, and importantly, to reclaim the necessity of improving our own character, our own character as we seek to improve the character of our nation. The latter is dependent upon the former. Are you on that journey of improving your own character? But therein lies our hope, for God does not abandon God's own. The scriptures still speak true to God's purposes in the world. In Isaiah, God admonishes the people to learn a new thing, a new way of living. Jesus walked the talk of God's love and justice. The opportunity we have involves confession and repentance, lament and forgiveness, followed by renewed actionable commitment to follow the path Jesus set before his disciples as he sent them on their journey. In today's gospel, he tells them they are intimately connected to him and God's purposes. Intimately connected that they should start small by offering a cup of water to someone who's thirsty. That lays the groundwork for the larger work ahead. That's the starting point. Don't miss an opportunity. Give yourself away as an emblem of what it means to be a child of God. Recently, the restoration work on the Christ Church Sanctuary restarted. I stood in that space this week Though still very much a construction site, the work is moving forward, and I'm thinking, what an interesting serendipity that our sanctuary will come back online just about the time we'll be ready to relaunch Christ Church 2.0. And it occurs to me 
that Isaiah's words will come to life through us if we so choose, that we'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuilding the foundations from out of our past. We'll be known as those who can fix anything, restoring old ruins, rebuilding and renovating, making the community livable again. And we'll do that by reimagining how our physical space will be a true sanctuary, as well as a celebration hub for those who've been sent into the world as agents of God's love and justice. My, oh my, that gets my juices flowing. And you know what? We get to do that together. You and me. All of us. Just in the nick of time.